Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Fixed Income Conversation Corner podcast on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. Today's conversation will be a wide-ranging one and will deliver you insights into positioning within the asset class against the current challenging macro backdrop and in consideration of what the balance of the year might have in store for the broader markets. Joining me here on the line is Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy Americas from the UBS Chief Investment Office, Leslie Falconio. I'm glad to welcome back to the forum as well, Mike Kentopoulos, Director of Fixed Income for Richard Bernstein Advisors, or RBA. So, Leslie, Mike, welcome to you both, and thank you for spending some time with our listeners. Though, Leslie, I'll pass it over to you to lead the conversation today with Mike. Welcome. Thank you, Dan, and, and, and thank you, Mike. I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. I mean, obviously, these are not only incredibly volatile times and challenging times, so, so we really look forward to, to your thoughts and Again, you taking the time, and um, I would love to just really just sort of start, just kick it off, and and just say that we, you know, we know that, and everyone knows how what challenging of a year, you know, 2022 has been, in terms of the performance that we've seen, you know, the past five months in both sectors, equity and fixed income, and what some of those drivers have been in terms of that poor, poor performance. And when I look, when you look, sort of, you know, going ahead to the second half of the year, right? How does this sort of the, the landscape look for fixed income in terms? of performance and some of those risk variables that we need to look out for? Well, first of all, thanks for, for having me, Leslie. Um, it has certainly been a, a challenging market uh, for the first four or five months of, of 2022. Although, you know, really it started, I would argue, all the way back in August of 2020, which is when the um, the 10-year bottomed, of course, at about 0.5%. And it's been a, a pretty steady rise. And we certainly think that the 40-year bull market in, in treasuries is, um, is dead. Uh, and we're entering into a new regime here. I think, unfortunately, that means there's more turbulence to come, um, you know, in the back half of this year and, and really going forward over the next several years. Um, when you look at the four key factors that drive interest rates, inflation, economic growth, the size of the Fed balance sheet and the federal funds rate, they all point to higher, not lower yields. And traditional fixed income managers are all basically um, dependent on a lower yield environment rather than a higher yield environment. And so as we look out over the balance of 2022, we see more volatility. Uh, We see higher rates as the Fed uh, tries to get ahead of inflation from uh, being very behind the inflation paradigm for the last year and a half. Uh, We see see the the balance sheet continuing to roll off. uh, And growth, you know, actually remains stronger than I think most expect. Uh, when you look at leading economic indicators, they're still pretty healthy. And so, you know, in that environment, you know, we'd expect, a, a, you know, higher rates rather than lower uh, and a continued difficult environment for traditional long-only fixed income. When we look at, um, you know, some of the things that you point out, which I, I think are are incredibly important, but also when we look at a lot of this accommodation that we saw and just some of this, the strength of the consumer corporate balance sheet sort of coming into, all the, to you know, this this next phase in the cycle, how do you sort of see, like, how do you think that these fundamentals look within the fixed income market? Well, it's interesting. The fundamentals actually are, are quite healthy. Um, when you look at, let's start with the corporate space, uh, corporate fundamentals have almost never been better in many ways. Uh, earnings growth is is very, very strong, obviously rebounding quite a bit uh, upon reopening of the economy and off of uh, very low bases in 2020 and even a little bit in 2021. So earnings growth is is quite strong. You know, you look at interest coverage, the ability for uh, corporates to pay the interest on their debt through through their earnings, 
and it's at all-time highs, right? Because many of these companies have locked in very low interest rates for a very long time, and now they have very strong earnings on top of that. Leverage has collapsed as earnings have accelerated and issuance declined, and you have huge amounts of cash on corporate balance sheets. Um, the default rate in high yield has been virtually zero, and our default model suggests that it's going to remain you know, in the very low single digits, if not in, you know, hovering around zero for the, for the near future. And so when we look at corporate fundamentals, they're, they're very, very healthy. Um, unfortunately for the market and market participants today, the volatility out of the equity market and the rate market is causing spreads to widen. I don't think it's necessarily a fundamental story as much as it is a volatility story. Remember, uh, bond investors want some degree of certainty of earning their coupon and ultimate payment of principal. And anytime you have uh, volatility, particularly in the equity market, uh, that basically uh, creates a demand for, uh, for higher yields and, and wider spreads in order to make up for any sort of uncertainty that may exist on the business side of, of a corporate. But the fundamentals are, are, are very healthy there. You look at munis, and even though uh, we don't particularly love munis at the moment because of the, the duration uh, aspect of the municipal bond market, you know, corp, state, uh, state, state budgets are in a very healthy spot. Right and, and and state finance state finances are are um, are very supportive to the muni market despite the fact that they're you know also long duration and have have problems on the rate side but the fundamentals are certainly are certainly solid um, so you really kind of look throughout the fixed income market and I think fundamentals are are good the problem again really comes from this idea that interest rates are likely to go higher as inflation continues to surprise to the upside. And as the Fed, quite frankly, probably needs to get a bit more aggressive in order to rein in that inflation over the coming you know, year, year and a half. Now, when, when we think about that, and as we kind of look at, as you, as you mentioned, the Fed, I mean, there's been a very, we've had a, wide, a very wide dislocation in terms of what people think and how much the Fed could potentially be behind the curve. And, and when we think about the Fed and how the market has priced in, at least initially, started this really aggressiveness in terms of this very hawkish Fed where when they sort of dropped that word transitory. What, how are you guys viewing like the path of the Fed funds rate from now to the end of the year? Are you in the either behind the curve or is it is it potentially they'll be overly hawkish and really not just, you know, cause slower growth, but really slow growth? How do you how are you looking at that in terms of how the Fed might affect, you know, the overall path of the economy? I think there's a very good chance that the economy can withstand much higher rates than what the market and even the Fed appreciates. Um, when you look at the amount of fixed rate debt on corporate balance sheets, it's, it's quite high. They've locked in very, very low interest rates for a very long time. When you look at the cash and corporate balance sheets, as I mentioned earlier, it's very, very high. You look at cash and consumer balance sheets, it's still, it's still elevated. Uh, you look at the amount of uh, variable rate mortgage debt out there, and it's 1% of all mortgage debt versus over 40% prior to the global financial crisis. When you take all of this into consideration, the health of corporate balance sheets, the health of consumer balance sheets, the lack of floating or variable rate debt on the mortgage space, what it suggests to us is that the economy can probably withstand much higher rates than what most people expect. The transmission mechanism of higher rates to slowing growth is less than it was prior to the global financial crisis. So what does that mean? That means that the Fed, in order to rein in inflation, which they almost by definition need to do 
through reining in consumption and demand are, is going to have to hike significantly higher than, than what they might otherwise would have had to if the transmission mechanism was the same prior to the global financial crisis. Um, so in our view, we think the Fed is behind the curve, is not fully appreciating the degree to which they'll have to hike in order to tamper, temp, tamper down demand to bring down inflation. And so maybe they get to two and a half, two and three quarters, or even 3% by year end on the federal funds rate. But that may not be enough to actually slow the economy enough to bring inflation anywhere close to their 2% mandate. Now, inflation is likely to come down, but to their 2% mandate sounds a little bit, uh, that, that doesn't seem quite plausible uh, to get to it, you know, between 25 and 3% Fed funds. And so I do think that you're going to see a, um, a longer hiking cycle and probably a higher Fed funds rate before you really see a true collapse in demand that ultimately brings the, the economy, you know, into a big slowdown. Uh, and treasury yields begin to fall, of course, at that point on a consistent basis. I think that's some time away. Uh, and so I think the Fed is going to remain behind the curve uh, for 2022. I think they're too optimistic that supply chain constraints are going to relieve themselves as they hike, and they're going to meet somewhere in the middle, and they're going to find that they just to be just as aggressive in 2023 as they were in 2022 to bring down that demand. So where would you? So where would you have say like where's your terminal in terms of the Fed fund rate? If, if the market says like 2.7 at the end of the year, and then you know a three to quarter say or a three three in, in, in 2023 before like they stretch price and eases, like where would your? How would you reign on that kind of spectrum? I think you know we deal as as you know we think about what what markets move on usually over under right. Uh, do you hit expectations or do you miss expectations? So I'd say I have less of a view on what the ultimate terminal rate will be, and I'd rather just take the over on what the market is saying. Now, could it be three and a half or four? Certainly. Uh, but I don't think anybody knows what that rate is until you've already crossed it. So I think it's a fool's errand to try and, and forecast that. But I do think that's probably higher than what, what most expect, and I would take the over relative to what the market and even the Fed expects at this particular point in time. Yeah, I mean, I think it's... You know, it's interesting, too, because when we think about, I mean, that I want to talk about, obviously, when we talk about interest rates and and when we think about, you know, the, the focus on what's happened with the tenure over the past, you know, you know, four or five months and the velocity by which it moved, a lot of that, as we know, has been, you know, driven by, you know, the Fed fund rate and the repricing in of, of a hawkish outlook. Whether or not you, when people believe it's hawkish enough or not is one thing, but we've obviously seen tenure yields move quite a bit given the repricing of the uh, Fed path. But when you think about that 10-year yield, if I just, 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 just look at the, that part of the curve for, you know, moment, which we know the Fed pays close attention to is rate, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously very tied to mortgage rates and, you know, it is a very important yield in terms of what we think how the economy could be going forward. And we do have QT starting next month. So what do you think on the whole movement of the tenure, what the outlook for the tenure can be over the next, say, the second half of the year? So I think the move makes uh, total sense given the four factors I mentioned earlier, the federal funds rate, the size of the Fed balance sheet, leading economic indicators, and inflation. Those are the, the four key factors that determine the, the, the variability of the tenure. You can explain about 92% of the variability of the tenure through those four variables. Um, you know, it's funny, when we were at 50 basis points, our fair value model was saying the tenure should be closer to 2%. When we got to 2%, our fair value model was saying it should be closer to 25 We got to 25 and the fair value model is saying now that, that the tenure should be closer to 3%. 
which of course we hit for you know a, a day and a half or so uh, before now coming back down to, to 2.8 today. But you are much closer to fair value than you've really the market's pricing much closer to fair value uh, than it has any time in the last two years. Um, now that doesn't mean fair value can't continue to trend higher depending on what happens to you know those four factors I just mentioned. It's easy to stress the model to get to a 10-year of three and a quarter, three and a half percent. That's not actually a, a, a far, you know, a far reach in terms of stressing the, the fair value model. And then, of course, usually the market over overshoots what the fair value is more often than not. That wasn't necessarily the case in the last couple of years, but that is usually the case. And so we could see a 10-year, I think, that goes to three and a quarter, even three and a half percent in 2022. A lot is going to be dependent on how the market views the, the growth outlook, of course, and whether or not the Fed is going to send us into recession. As I mentioned earlier, I think that's a further ways off than, than maybe the equity market today is, is pricing in. But, um, you know, it depends on how the, the market is ultimately going to do that. If you look at the 10-year, though, the 10-year and, and the equity market are really diverging in terms of their views. I mean, yes, we've come down over the last week or two on the 10-year, but we're still you know, 2.8%, um, you know, significantly higher than we were, you know, not that long ago. Uh, the market, the, the bond market's not pricing in a recession, I would argue, at this particular point in time. Uh, and so if, if the bond market is right, which it tends to be, I think you could easily get north of 3% again over the next six months and perhaps even closer to 3 and a quarter or 35 depending on, Again, those four variables I mentioned and how much the market overshoots. You brought us some really some great valid points um, early in our conversation about the strengthening, about the fundamental strength in the credit market. And, I, and actually, I, I do agree with everything that you that you said in terms of you know the interest coverage ratio, cash on balance sheet, defaults being you know low. You know, so I, I think there is, it's all absolutely right, particularly since, as we know, I mean, the issuers had the high yield debt, IG, um, had the ability for you know two years to you know term out their debt at very low rates. But when we think about like how we go, how we move look, looking going forward, and particularly how this this whole cycle, everything within the cycle has been very very fast. And, you know, it's not that, you know, I don't think our clients or listeners think that, you know, there's going to be a credit problem. But what is your view on, say, when we look at the first five months of the year and the total and the negative total returns within these sectors, it's, it's been 60 percent interest rate driven, right? I mean, yep. up until recently, the credit market was, was screaming soft landing. We've had a really big widening just in a very short period of time. It's a big catch up. But do you think that this kind of, do you think in the last half of the year, even though you do have fundamental strength, as you pointed out, that the headwinds of performance can be from widening spread versus interest rates rising? Or what is your take there, given that you're coming from such a place of, okay, I'm pricing at a full value here? Yep. So I think there definitely could be um, spread widening risk in the back half of, of 2022. Um, that certainly doesn't seem uh, implausible. Um, you know, particularly as even though, again, and I stress, even though our base case is not some sort of economic recession, um, you know, this year, or perhaps not even next year, well, we'll have to see how the data plays out to make a view on next year. But we are going into uh, an earnings slowdown. Uh, there's no doubt about that. Earnings peaked in Q4 of last year. Uh, usually investment grade and high yield corporates, unlike equities, you know, aren't quite as sensitive to just a decline in, uh, in, in earnings growth. Uh, you need to see actual really low earnings growth or even negative earnings growth before it hits 
spreads meaningfully. But the probability of that situation has increased uh, quite a bit. You know, so our earnings model suggests by Q4 of this year, you're probably mid single digits. Now, that should affect equities, I think, more than credit, but certainly could lead to some credit spread widening, even absent in any sort of economic slowdown or economic recession that, that could be imminent, which, again, we don't think is the case. And so I think it's entirely reasonable to expect, expect some spread widening, but I would still rather own spread risk than, um, than interest rate risk at this particular point in time. Um, you know, because of the corporate fundamentals. What really concerns me about the, the, the corporate market over the next, you know, four, five, six months is the volatility that I mentioned earlier. It's going to be very hard for spreads to rally if implied volatility on the equity side and on the rate side remains, uh, remains elevated. And currently, it doesn't seem like that's going to fall anytime soon, but, you know, that's something that we watch very closely, uh, and it uh, tends to be a good early signal to what credit spreads are going to do. So we look for volatility to collapse before we um, before we really feel very confident that spreads will will follow suit. So um, what are your what are your overall what if you're the way you're positioned your overall relative value recommendation again it could be how it could be any asset class or within the asset class specific sectors given the views that you just kind of laid out over the past like 15 minutes how do, how do you how are you structuring your portfolio now you know what what's the strategy behind your portfolio in terms of what you think for the next you know year or so yeah, I think that the last several weeks have presented a number of opportunities. Um, a fixed income portfolio today probably looks very different than a fixed income portfolio over the last 40 years. Uh, you're going to need to leverage, you know, rate hedged products to limit your duration. You know, securitized products like you know CLOs, and we particularly like AAA CLOs. They're one of the cheapest, uh, you know, investment grade assets out there at the moment. Floating rate in nature. Um, we continue to like, as I mentioned, you know, to some degree, credit risk, certainly more credit risk over interest rate risk. So to the extent that you can, you know, take advantage of, of hedged products, interest rate hedged products, and just take the credit risk, we think there are some attractive opportunities that presented themselves in the investment grade market. Um, short duration, high yield. High yield has widened quite a bit over the last two weeks. Um, and, you know, really is presenting an interesting opportunity as well, particularly in the short maturity portion of, of high yield. Um, you know, there's probably a little bit too much default risk priced into the front end of the high yield market. So that's an area of the market we like quite a bit. So I would say uh, AAA, CLOs, short maturity, high yield, uh, investment grade spread risk, uh, all, over, all over interest rate risk. Um, the one other thing I would mention is, you know, RBA is in the enviable position where we're coming at the, the rise in rates from a period of strength in the sense that we've had a low duration bias to our portfolios uh, for the last two years. And so we have the ability to add duration to our portfolios as the 10-year sells off. Um, and I think that's okay to do, right? With the 10-year near 3% and near fair value, certainly it can go higher. But it is looking a little bit more attractive as an economic recession hedge. And so we're okay adding a little bit of duration um, with a higher rate, you know, as, as rates go higher, but remaining very underweight. So adding to duration but remaining underweight seems a little bit prudent at this particular point in time as well. 
Well, this has really been, listen, this has been a really great conversation, Mike, and, and I do appreciate your time. And there's a lot in terms of how we're positioned that is a complement to how your strategy has been sort of, you know, implemented. And, and we too have been <clears throat> underweight risk in terms of interest rate risk for quite some time. And we also have sort of taken that more towards what we consider a quote unquote neutral type of stance. I, I don't think that we are quite as bearish as you are, but I do think that the combination of, you know, both that credit risk and some sort of interest rate exposure here now, particularly if we get the correlation meaningfully back between equity and fixed income going forward, is that is is a great strategy in terms of a barbell. So we really appreciate your time and, and thanks so much for talking to us. Thanks, Leslie. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliates. The views and opinions expressed in this material by external guest speakers are those of the author, speaker, and are not those of UBS, its subsidiaries, or affiliates. Accordingly, UBS does not accept any liability over the content of this material or any claims, losses, or damages arising from the use or reliance of all or any part thereof. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient, and is published for informational purposes only. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.